Welcome to Sitcom Geeks, I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we are uh, catching up, uh, we're doing a special episode that's catching up really on the last um, few weeks. We're going to talk about lockdown and what it means for comedy, what it's meant for us, uh, what it'll mean for you as uh, writers starting out. Uh, in the big bad world of comedy writing. Uh, we've got quite a lot to catch up on, haven't we, James? Yes, the world's exploded in various ways several times over since we last <laughs> did, a, did a raw episode like this. It, it's, it's exploded and nothing has happened in equal, in kind of almost equal measure, really. It's uh, that, that yes. sort of weirdness, really. Yes, ev- yes, everything and nothing. Yes, mm. I know what you mean. So, yeah, I'll tell you what has been busy. So, on so Patreon, we've had more and more people joining us on Patreon, haven't we? Which has we been have. very exciting. We were very, uh, we, we, we were not sure at all what was going to happen. We thought maybe people might not with uh, lockdown and everything. But actually, um, coinciding as well, I think, with sort of quite two quite big script competitions, the uh, BBC Writers yeah. Room and uh, the um, Goldman Simpson bursary that was announced sort of about a week after the Writers Room uh, closed. So it's been a kind of non-stop um, possibilities for writers to to write scripts and. Um, a lot of people we, we we've been doing a lot of stuff about that anyway uh we've had uh, we we've I, I could name actually i can we could uh, welcome our new patreons in fact uh why not uh, yes uh and this is really in the last sort of month or so uh natalie elvin hello uh gareth edward joe reaney tess carruthers shane salter tom doggett ian archer ian marriott smith lucy ransley gavin samuel david elliott and Harry Evans. I feel like um, an episode of Weekending where I've been reading out the reading names. Reading the writers. Of, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, to me, I felt like also like a football, uh, you know, and the, and the, and the no-score draws are. Yeah. Uh, it's felt, felt a bit like yeah, that too. That sort of BBC announcer. In, in, in but us. there's loads of stuff on Patreon. Uh, if you join us, there's uh, extra content being put up. I've only literally just dropped the episode uh, where we spoke to the wonderful Rufus Jones uh, so we took we talked to him about home and that that episode is 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 very very you know early early access but there's loads of stuff that's only on patreon loads of extra content and also membership of a uh, private facebook group and people are kind of helping each other as well and and having offline discussions and generally kind of because it's it's it is lonely out there but also i think now is the time to be thinking about the next thing i know i would say that wouldn't i but we've just had a a couple of deadlines with the BBC Writers' Room. There was the Galton and Simpson bursary thing. And next year, there'll be another BBC Writers' Room window. They won't want the script that you've submitted before. Hmm. And so now is the time to be thinking. And also maybe to think, maybe I need a new approach. Maybe I need to start again. I've now written that sitcom that I've always been meaning to write. But what what would happen if I started from scratch now? So... So we've also got a sitcom where called Soup to Nuts um, that is being planned on Patreon as well, um, very slowly and incrementally. But mm-hmm. it is showing you the steps in which uh, that you need to go through to create a show that actually matters. And, and funnily enough, 
things go things have their moment don't they because what's yes. happened in our sitcom that we've been developing um offline as it were yes well there's a a, a plot which in fact james uh, came came up with this uh idea for, uh, we, we were kind of scrabbling around a bit and then uh, it's a kind of very much about local uh local councils and opportunities for local businesses and um, james had this idea that um that we should uh set the episode around uh a, a statue of a local businessman and uh, there's, there's there's a lot of uh, protests uh, in the local community about about yeah. this uh, statue, mostly because the guy was a, uh, not not the guy himself, but his family uh, have subsequently become a bunch of ne'er do wells and rubbish business people who yeah. who, who ruin the town. And yeah. then also they decided to build a road through the town anyway, so the statue just was going to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we yeah. that's um that now if we were to keep that plot, people would just say, "Oh God, aren't they just kind of jumping on the bloody statue yeah. bandwagon?" Um, yeah. So I don't I don't but, know whether we're going to be able to keep it or not, really. Now. Well, by the, by the time that that plot appears anywhere <laughs> in in any actual show, it will feel like it's kind of matured yeah. and doesn't yeah. feel opportunistic. And in a way, that is a it's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? Because mm. um, these things do have their time. These yeah. do, things do have a moment, and sometimes you may come up with an idea that doesn't feel maybe of the moment, and actually a few months later it feels like it really mm. is. Yeah. So that's why, in a way, you want to be working on numerous ideas simultaneously. You want to mm. have two or three, and then suddenly one of them might feel like it's right for now. Yeah. Um, whereas another one, which felt so current, actually now already feels rather dated. Mm. But then it may come back in a different way with using some of the same characters or... Yeah. You know, also, a, coincidentally, I have a I have a chunk in my uh, novel which I finished, uh, and and I'm just kind of going through the final uh, rewrites for. I had a whole chunk that I wrote uh, more than a year ago. Uh, it's part of it is set in Bristol, and there is this chunk about how Bristol was uh, entirely built on the slave trade, and really, there's nobody is going to read that and think uh, anything other than. He is just so he shouldn't be talking about that because it's set in the past and he's obviously just added that in now. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to kind of really think about how am I going to what am I how am I going to get rid of it? <laughs> what what can I do with it? Um, but yes, it's true. And actually, one other point uh, to mention about competitions, anyway, is that there used to be uh, the BAFTA Rowcliffe comedy uh, script. Uh, deadline was at the same time as the BBC Writers Room and they've moved it now so that's actually uh, in September so uh, so there is ah. if you do want to write a sitcom um, there, there is a competition uh, in September um, I had somebody uh, a friend actually who's a, a comedian wrote to me and she said that uh, she was thinking of entering a script for that but it's something like £42 uh, to enter is it worth it? So I put a little uh, question out on our uh, Twitter site, Sitcom Geeks, and, and asked. And the general response that I got back, 100%, was yes, it's definitely worth entering. Uh, you get very good feedback for your 42 quid. So, mm. uh, so yes, if you are uh, thinking of um, doing another sitcom, uh, that's September. That's what four months away now, five months away. Um, it's time enough if you've got uh, hardly the, the four German months. An idea. Two, yeah. two, two and a half, three months. 
Well, I'm actually doing a thing now. I, 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 uh, this is partly uh, what I've been doing uh, in the last couple of months is uh, I've, I've, I've kind of gone online with some of my uh, teaching and I, I've done this thing called Lockdown Sitcom. Uh, and I set it up in um, started a few weeks ago. Uh, it's like write a sitcom in eight weeks. So I've got a bunch of people I'm doing this sort of correspondence course with. I'm doing another one in July. Uh, that that is full. So I'm afraid if you wanted to do something for Rowcliffe, uh, that one's full. But I'm doing another one again in uh, October. So basically, you spend you uh, we go from soup to nuts really uh eight weeks can can you write a sitcom in eight weeks uh and quite a few of the people on it uh, they're they're pushing through they're cracking through it's quite amazing really uh mm. when 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 you have this sort of forced to deadline it is amazing what you can come up with um but i've been i've been sort of trying to do it myself as well i've had an idea and i thought well, well this might be a good uh, exercise for me uh and i got to about week four and i just thought I, 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 this isn't this isn't happening. Uh, it might still happen. Still got two weeks to go. So, but at the moment, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of giving up on that one. But um, I've got some very I've had some very interesting uh, insights, really. I suppose uh, from from doing it. Okay. Yeah. What what are the what are the headlines on that? The headlines and the parallel with uh, the virus that we're going through is is actually very very interesting because uh it struck me that writing uh, a sitcom is a little bit like uh trying to come out of a pandemic um <laughs> because yeah. you uh have absolutely no idea where anything is going but you you kind of hazard a guess so you uh, three weeks into your pandemic and it's all kind of it's starting to sort of uh, that the, the peak has gone and you're kind of sl- plateauing slightly. You think, okay, what's what's the next thing that I can do? So you do do something, but that then you find out that that thing has consequences that you hadn't really thought through. Uh, well, you couldn't think through because it's all new, and so those consequences make you think, okay, I'm going to have to put my put that to one side for a moment and look at this and think well actually no we can't do that just yet we've got to do this uh and and i think that's kind of it's i suppose uh being open to the possibilities and 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 aware of how wrong things can go even as you are trying to kind of uh do something by you know kind of it's very you're trying to be scientific with something that you can't always you know you can't always be scientific about it's not like you're not building a a, a machine or something you, you mm. know it's been built a million times before you are you're you know you're you are coming up with it every day you have to come up with new stuff for it and you've got no idea where that new stuff is going to take you so um so mm. i think that was my that's my that's the main thing uh, that yeah. I've taken away. Do you think that's that? that that's makes a good sense? one. Yeah, as as you were saying that, it was. I think the organic nature of it, I think, always surprises people. And I think, I th- maybe people think that those of us who do this for a living and do it a lot, we kind of have a system and a method, and we impose our will or our formula onto <laughs> the genre, as it were. And mm. actually, it it feels more like you're planting various seeds, and the more seeds you plant, the more plants come up, roughly in the shape that you want. Um, so if it's in some ways it's a bit more like gardening um, rather than building Lego you know 
at houses. It's much more organic than that. And sometimes you have an amazing crop and it just comes it comes good and you get loads of great plants that you can work with or you know make yeah. jam with or make chutney with. And sometimes it's just like, nah, well, that didn't work. Um, okay, um, may maybe I infected the whole batch with something that I'm not entirely sure about. Okay, well, that's okay. I'll try something again. Um, yeah. And that's frustrating. So I, th I think in a way we, we're always trying to give people that fairly grown up approach of just try stuff, just try stuff. Mm. And I think our, our only advantage, and particularly my advantage, having done this for 20 years and written however many scripts and pilot scripts, is my, one of my advantages is I know how hard it is. And yeah. therefore, I, I expect to find it really hard. And th that actually weirdly means that I don't panic halfway through when I'm finding it hard. Yeah. I think when people find it easy or they panic and they're finding it hard and they think they're doing it wrong. It's like, no, no, you're probably doing it right. Yeah. Um, so, this so yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. They, they, I, I give them sort of a, a weekly feedback. And, mm. you know, so each one person gets an individual feedback. And then I do a kind of uh, a, a sort of mass email. And from since about week three, I've been saying exactly that kind of thing. Of uh, if you're finding it easy, uh, then you, you, something's something's wrong. And and of course, the longer it's gone on, the more people have gone. Ah, I, here's my week five stuff for you i found it really uh, i found it really hard and uh, you know i really struggled with this and i wasn't able to do whatever and i say you know yeah that's 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 i'm not being a, a sadist here i'm not reveling yeah. in your misery but i am mm. kind of trying to say good you know it's good that you're finding it hard because um you know that 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 means that you are you know you you you've if you're trying to weave your way through that and I have had just to go back to what you were saying there a couple of people a couple of times people have sort of said I've said something about I'm not quite sure if that character works or I'm not quite sure you've got that thing working and some people will just change it and come up with something different some people say no I'm sticking with that and as the weeks have gone on the, the thing I, I sort of feel slightly vindicated where yeah. the thing that's the, the, the reason it's not working is the thing that I identified early on as a as a potential problem has not gone away and that's a kind of interesting and, and I've just kind of been using the process that we talk about you know week mm. in week out on this podcast which is you know what's it about what's it really about why me why now get mm. get all that stuff you know, really, really get that stuff sorted before you even think about uh, writing the, the the plots and the the, yeah. the the characters and the dialogue and everything. You know, re really think about it, and you know, it, it's quite amazing seeing what 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 kind of comes out of that. So, um, so I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed it. You know, cool. So um, that's all fully booked for July, but I'm sure you'll be doing it again in the future. Yeah. Um, there's also loads of extra advice on on Patreon, and uh, your blog, my blog, uh, links in the show notes, all that business, mm. and also the BCG Pro, loads of stuff there as well. If you want to register with that, and also you get a discount. I think if you put in Sitcom Geeks with a capital S and a capital G when you join, uh, you get a fiver yeah. off or something. Uh, or, one word, know. yeah, Sitcom Geeks. Yeah, yeah, Sitcom yeah. Geeks, one word. One word. Um, and actually, so, we'll we'll be uh, after after we've um, done this podcast, we'll be recording a separate um, Q 
Q&A, uh, which will just be for uh, Patreons. We're planning to do this as a, as a monthly uh, yep. thing now. So um, Yeah, the last uh, Thursday of the month, you heard it here we first. Think. Yeah. We think. Yeah. Last Thursday of the month, there will be a live Q&A, or yeah. at least a very recent, you know, up-to-the-minute Q&A. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, those are all the benefits of that stuff, and, and chat about sitcom writing generally. Hmm. Why don't you tell us about the lockdown latest... Dave. Yes, well, this is uh, to, just just to kind of keep you up to date, really, with the sort of um, comedy news. Um, it's been. Uh, we suppose that we should have some theme tune music for this. <laughs> we <laughs> should dun, actually, dun, dun, yeah. comedy news, yes, comedy news, comedy news. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been. I mean, as as for everybody, you know, there have been some pretty awful uh, things that, that have happened. You know, I mean, not you know above and beyond all the sort of the, the terrible you know kind of uh, situation that, that that has occurred um as far as um the future for you know kind of produced tv comedy is concerned you know that there, there, there's all that there were a lot of issues a lot of problems before uh coronavirus and uh, yeah some of them have been exaggerated i mean channel channel four was kind of struggling a little bit before uh the virus but now it's uh, or, or it, it seems to be struggling a lot more they, they basically cancelled all of their uh comedy production uh as you know they sort of postponed it indefinitely uh, and nobody's and still nobody really knows what's what's uh, what's going to happen with Channel Four and uh, the writers. Guild. I think yeah, I think you know that's going to start re- rerunning Sean's show presumably, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and dressing uh, for breakfast. Um, uh, do you remember that? I do. Yes, actually, I really like dressing for breakfast. I thought that was a great yeah. uh, sitcom. Uh, uh, pa- in, packet in, of three. Um, and the, the, what was the, dressing uh, for breakfast? What was that? Go on, go back to dressing that. for breakfast. Was uh, Susan Kalman uh, wrote it? Uh, no, Ian Brown, James Hendry wrote. Susan Kalman physically was not, not Susan Kalman. Uh, no, uh, Stephanie Kalman. Stephanie Kalman. Okay, right. I'm mixing up my no relations. Yeah, yes. uh, It was a kind of it was a, a, a quite a sort of modern for its time young people sitcom. Uh, it had a sort of. Um, uh, trend, trendy mum uh, and um, these sort of two girls flatmates who you know uh, were struggling with life uh, classic yeah. classic sitcom but very very lovely very well written Ian and James wrote several episodes for it I remember oh did they yeah huh. uh, and they, uh, but the other ones um, there was a sitcom about something uh, there was a sitcom about a, 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 a battered wives uh, refuge called The Refuge actually which was not uh Channel 4's finest moment, it has to be said. Uh, but they did start wow. with uh, <laughs> they started with the five uh, the five Go Mad series, um, which they yeah. opened with in, uh, in November eighty two when Channel Four started, uh, and that was you know that was kind of groundbreaking uh, kind of comedy yeah. show really. I mean, I've kind of paved the way for the sort of non audience. Uh, shows really, I think it was sort of yeah. more. They were more like mini movies, uh, really. Uh, yeah. And uh, Peter Richards. And in a way, who, yeah, yeah, really gave BBC Two a bit of a run for its money as well. I think in a good way because that that because yeah. I I feel like I grew up in a bit of a comedy arms race between BBC Two and Channel Four, and yeah. my teenage <laughs> years particularly were all the better for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because well, Channel well, Four that... was giving us. Clive Anderson talks back as as well mm. and Paul Merton the series and yeah. uh, as well as one of my favourites Mr Don and Mr George for for one series yeah. only. 
But, well, uh, Channel Four, uh, partly as a as a spoiler for the week that Channel Four uh, opened, um, that was the first week that uh, BBC Two showed the Young Ones. So the Young right. Ones debuted on the same week as Five Go Mad, uh, which was a real you know kind of. Uh, I mean, I mean. You know, Five Go Mad just got completely lost because the young ones just within two weeks was becoming was the thing that everybody was talking about all the time. It was quite a, a, a you know quite breathtaking the, the the speed with which the sort of alternative comedy uh, juggernaut kind of rolled into town, and it was that that week when Channel Four started uh, when it happened. We'll talk about that actually in in a minute, but um, yeah, so so basically we with Channel Four. Uh, the good and the bad and the not so good, but um, you know, great show, Father Ted, of course, the, the, the one of the greatest sitcoms ever. Um, so, but but you know, there's going to be a lot of um, a, a lot of hard talking with Channel Four uh, over the next few months. Hopefully, something will will come out of that. Yeah, there've been a lot of a uh, lot of great um, initiatives for black uh, asian and minority ethnic uh, writers and in the last few weeks kind of off the back of the uh, whole sort of uh, black lives matters issue it's it's kind of gone beyond uh, just a few people saying oh isn't it terrible and actually a lot of people have set up initiatives for black writers and uh, asian uh, writers um there's if you go to the uh, bcg pro site there's a, there's a um uh, a topical comedy uh, course for for black and ethnic minority Asian writers. Um, uh, Gemma Arismith running a free sketch course. Um, Andy Riley has for years been uh, mentoring uh, black uh, writers, and in fact, he's been joined by uh, the Dawson brothers. So, uh, so there's a, a lot of a, a lot of writers now are. Uh, putting schemes mm. into place really and i think yeah. and and, and i'm also involved in a project which is a not just about you know getting writers involved but but trying to get people across the whole process so uh, getting writers uh, producers performers everybody who's involved with comedy who knows black writers performers whatever to say actually if uh you know th- think about in this situation if you can employ somebody from or, or from you know white working class background as well anyone from a background who who uh, you know it's, it's basically all about just trying to make the the, the the playing field more level i would say really and yeah. i think that's uh the, these are these are things that it's it's, it's not about you know kind of uh, less talented people getting ahead of more talented people. It, it's it's just about making it the opportunities uh, easier uh, to access for everybody, really, and not just for uh, people who you know who who can manage you know who don't who can manage without having any money for months at a time or whatever. So mm-hmm. so that's the kind of basis of that. So that's a kind of good thing i think that's come out of uh, the last couple of months i don't know have you got anything that you wish want um, to add to that no thing? the only other thing i guess is any a, a personal thing in terms of what i've been up to oh. I, and hopefully and there's a you know maybe there's something to learn from this i don't know but one thing i i started writing a novel and right. i st- i still plan to finish the novel but mm-hmm. once i'd written about twelve and a half thousand words i stopped Right. And because I also thought, do you know what, uh, by about the end of September and I finished it and I say, here's my novel. 
I will be told, okay, do place it on the pile over there. Uh, what pile is that? I can't see anything. Just a massive pile. Of, oh, I see. That's it. You know, and there's me getting a step ladder yeah. to put mine on the top of it. Yeah. And um, actually the person behind it is six foot six inches tall and yes, you still exactly. can't see them. Still can't um, see over that it. tall. It's and that uh, tall. Yeah. I, I've actually been very mindful of this as well. I've, I, I, um, I finished my novel as I as you mm. might have heard me say about 25 times on here um, yeah. but I have that what I've done the last month or so is I've, I've kind of sent it out to a few people for uh, just 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 to get notes really mm. on it and um, you know I've had a pretty reasonably positive uh, response from people actually um, and I have been looking into this I, I, I mean I would love to get an agent and the publisher and all that side of things but I, I'm I'm coming more and more round to the idea that I will I will uh, publish it myself it just mm. seems to be uh, an obvious thing to do really I know and I know a lot now about self-publishing I've learned a lot through bringing out my non-fiction books mm. about comedy writing and I'm learning more now about the world of fiction and I think I'm I, I feel uh, that uh, exactly what you're saying if I if I even if my book is absolutely brilliant and wonderful and I, I send I send it out to people now uh, as you say you know the, the other person knows you're being held in a queue the other person mm. knows you are waiting uh, but they have got uh, another 500 books ahead of yours to read first mm. um, so I, I, I the, the more I think about it the more I think that, that that's a probable route for me to take um, yeah yeah so I think it, it's a, in a way you want to make the most of the time but also it is just just also worth thinking for people listening what can I do is you do kind of want to be a bit savvy about going where the opportunities are in a way if you think you want to write a novel you should write a novel you might be the next John Steinbeck or Marilyn Robinson or whatever in which case great um but you know, it is worth thinking. What what do I do particularly well? Um, so the I mean the other thing is, the the publisher who published the Sacred Art of Joking asked me for another book that could be funny, mm. and actually I'm going to write hopefully another book ahead of the novel, which is taking uh, a comedy approach to uh, two parts of the Bible, mm -hmm. but but rather than a point and laugh kind of way, which is a common thing to do with the Bible, and there's perfectly good tradition of that which I'm not well we'll get we'll get on to cancelling comedy in a minute but um but for, from my point of view it would be more like a um a yes and approach to the comedy um in in the bible so that that's such a that's that's a really strong niche for me so mm -hmm. I would be a bit mad not to make the most of that niche especially given that that's a book I'd really like to write so yeah. um and it could open doors for for other other books and other projects and mm. You know, and if somebody in America wanted to write, uh, wanted wanted somebody to write a movie based on Bible characters that might actually be funny, then I go to the front of the queue uh, for that sort of thing. So, and, and yeah. another point to make, I think, as well is, uh, you know, you've you've that that time you spent uh, planning the novel and writing as much as you did is not mm. is not wasted time. That is no, some, that's absolutely something that you've you've learned a lot from, and it's it's a piece of work that that is there, and yeah. you know a point might come six months down the line where you suddenly go, oh yeah, and this and this and this and um, and that's really um, 
and uh, you know you, you it, it'll all make sense and suddenly you'll have a month where you can just say yeah. oh and i can maybe if i can lock myself away for a month i can actually go back to this and, yeah. and uh, finish it or you know yeah exactly yeah so I, I feel i've left it in a place where i wanted to put it down and get a bit of distance on it anyway and that yeah. time of distance has improved but I like to think that like a fine wine or a, a mature cheddar, uh, he says, speaking from Somerset, looking out over the Somerset levels, um, then I uh, then then so much the better. It may yeah. it may go slightly blue uh, unintentionally, but, but who knows? Well, we don't but, like blue comedy around these parts. No. Though. Oh, it's blue. It's blue, Alan. It's blue. Uh, but speaking of inappropriate comedy, uh, ah, I guess the other... That's a the great other, segue there, James. <laughs> yes. Um, some comedy has been cancelled since we last spoke, or yeah. at least removed, and we'll, and we'll find its way back into the mainstream at some point in the next 15 years when everyone's forgotten mm. about it. Yeah. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong there. But, um, but yeah, so why don't you just tell us what the headline is? Yeah, okay. Let's um, first of all let, let let's uh, look at this. There's the, there's the kind of topical story uh, that we we should look at, um, which is that a lot of blackface comedy has has been cancelled, taken off Netflix mm. or whatever. Uh, that we will then look uh, from a writer's point of view. I think we can also uh, look at this and and. Uh, we'll, we'll talk in, in a bit about how what what's your best approach to writing mm. about race as a comedy writer. But to go to the first point, there's a lot of there was a lot of kind of sound and fury uh, in the last week or so. Uh, it started with a kind of misreporting of the cancellation that the the, the, the news uh, came out that the BBC had cancelled the the Germans episode of Forty Towers, uh, which was. Uh, which was a, a basically a, t- a total misrepresentation of what had happened. The, the, the as it happens, the, the Germans episode of Forty Towers had within it uh, an extremely racist exchange, as there were every week yeah. or most weeks between Basil and the Major. Yeah. And uh, s- at least six or seven years ago, uh, I think John Cleese had kind of uh highlighted this and it's yeah. like, you know there is no room for this there's no place for this sort of uh yeah sketch there you was know, a, a there was a use of the n-word yeah. wasn't there yeah. yeah and also it was you know kind of our, uh, an understanding that this you know what it was something of its time uh, understanding of the intent it was it was obviously you know kind of uh not meant in a derogatory way it was you know it was laughing at the major yeah. and Basil, rather than laughing yeah. with, and you know that was all uh, said at the time, back in the, the time when these what this wasn't such a, a fraught question, and you know Cleese was quite happy to to, to remove that section from that episode. Uh, the, yes, the famously reasonable John Cleese, <laughs> not not prone to public displays of yeah. rage or anger, no. but even even he was just like, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, um, and that was taken out of every uh, episode that was used subsequently, except there was uh, when it was sold to uh, and then packaged to UK TV, um, and so UK TV had not yet uh, taken that uh, part out, and so the new story this week was that UK TV had removed that section from the Germans episode, so. 
That, oh, you, you, you'd struggle to know that from the headlines, though, wouldn't no, you? No, that was a completely not... That was a total non-story, but yeah. it, obviously in, in the febrile atmosphere of last week, it was became, you know, on top of uh, statues being toppled and people killed and the, the kind of world... Yeah. protest oh yeah. suddenly oh the craven bbc has yeah. cancelled the episode about the germans is a is a much better story yeah uh and, and and you know and it got great traction and it yeah. became this whole thing about you know and then and then comes along dave cohen with his context <laughs> oh, oh dave how yeah. annoying yeah i mean and yes it did it, it did reignite the debate which again we'll come to a little bit more about you know, blackface, and and that that was that that is the more controversial area. Again, Little Britain uh, was particularly mentioned. League of Gentlemen, Little Britain, uh, they had for ma- many years also. They had sort of said, you know, we accepted, you know, we did blacking up. We we uh, realised now, you know, it wasn't meant in that that way. But we actually look now at, at uh, how comedy has changed and things have moved on, and we would not do that in that way anymore um so you know again it's not i I mean it then started to be a a little bit of a story of you know well you know little britain has always punched down to use the sort of uh you know kind of common language and really if you're going to attack people you need to punch up and the same old arguments that we've been hearing for 25 30 years now and uh you know it does I do always get this sort of worry when this thing comes up, and I, I do feel that comedy is very much used as a kind of weapon by both sides to to attack each other, and I, I and I find that kind of a little bit uh, of of a pain. There's, there's this whole sort of thing about well, especially comedy. if you're trying to pay your mortgage with comedy. I mean, yeah, that's... <laughs> and I do, yeah. but I, I mean, I, I I do not me person. Well, I suppose I was part of a a group of people. We did, we were in the 1980s. Uh, when we were performing as uh, stand-ups and it was no- nobody knew what, anything about you know or, or people weren't kind of having these kind of discussions about sexism and racism but my generation of comedians who grew up in the 70s seeing sexist tv and race sexist and, and sexism and racism on tv or whatever and, and happened to not be comfortable with that and actually our we it just happened that we kind of thought well we'd like to try a, a different approach to comedy you know for us uh it's about um you know kind of coming up with our own uh, stereotypes i suppose that people are more familiar to us so you know the, the mother-in-law was an outdated concept you know we couldn't go on stage in north london in the 1980s and tell jokes about mother-in-law or you know the the uh pakistani people or black people because it just wouldn't the audience it, it w- wouldn't it wouldn't register with them so you know we ended up talking about other areas you know and, and relationships and sexual politics or whatever and you know kind of and 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 the sort of left-wing politics inevitably that kind of came out of that period which was the height of uh, mm. margaret thatcher's popularity so so it wasn't like we were trying to cancel sexist and racist comedy we were just trying to find something new but inevitably as that became popular then the kind of comedy that was considered to be sexist and racist, like Benny Hill or Jim Davison, whatever, did start to get cancelled. So, you know, you can see mm. how 
people look at it and say, oh, you know, this is the sort of political correctness gone mad. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it works both ways. And, and, and you know, I've often been criticised. I, I, I often had very nasty, nasty letters uh, from BBC Radio for, you know, kind of when I wrote... Uh, they did sort of comedy shows, and we took the the, the piss out of UKIP, you know, mm. and got some, got some really, you know, sort of really hateful letters, like yeah. the sort of letters that uh, you'd get, you know, for people for, for cancelling in the other direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean it's it is hard, isn't it? Because you're enraging people, and mm. comedy is actually very, very sophisticated, um, and you do have to kind of let the audience make up their own mind. And if they, if they misunderstand what you say, well, there's not an awful lot you can do about that. And I guess this moves on to, yeah. you know, what as a comedy writer we can do about it. Yeah. Or we what, have... what we should, what we, you know, how, mm. how, do we, how do we move on from here, given the world we live in, maybe rather yeah. than the world that we would like to live in? Um, we got a question about exactly that from one of our mm. Patreon uh, members, Michael uh, Hall, and he wrote to us and he said uh you know he'd be interested to hear podcast discussion about uh how you know how do you deal with race issues now you know how do you put them into uh what the sort of the character types uh and he quoted uh the thing that john cleese said uh quite recently um about um you know the the, the various issue this particular issue about you know whether you have racist characters or not he says uh that i hope that someone at the bbc would understand there are two ways of making fun of human behavior one is to attack it directly and the other is to have someone who is patently a figure of fun speak up on behalf of that behavior uh and he used alf garnett as the uh, obvious example mm. of that so what do you But then yeah but then of yeah. course people then say yes but people misunderstood Alf Garnett and he became a, a hero to to particular viewpoints or attitudes hmm. um at which point you know and I know that you know Johnny Spate was very unhappy about that hmm. but equally there is quite an arrogance as a writer to say I control exactly how my audience feel about everything and it may be that you're making things clear in one particular direction yeah. But if you create characters, again, this is, goes back to what we're saying at the start about this whole thing is organic. Not only are you growing these organic characters that have a life of their own and a voice of their own, they have a resonance with the with an audience that we don't fully understand either before, during or after. Mm. So I think sometimes, you know, we like to think as a writer, I have supreme control, yeah. not just over my world that I'm creating, but the reactions to that world. And I think, um, I, I think you're on. A, and, it's, and it's weird because I thought we'd already discovered. I thought, I thought post-structuralism and deconstructivism and Jacques Derrida had already had already said that the author has died, that there is no authorial intention to us to a you know, and you can make whatever of a text you can. Yeah. Um, and now suddenly we're trying to suss out motives for for writers, for characters, for audience members, and sort of get a whiff of the fact that oh, we got a wrong in here. Um, so I think, I, I think in a way we we want to be a bit more, a bit more accepting of the fact that these things take on a life of their own, mm. and that that's that's partly why they go well, as partly why they go wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, I would think to be fair to Johnny Spates, he uh, it, it, it wasn't just that he, it, you know, I think he, he that 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 show, and I do remember I was very young when it came out, but I I, I do remember it was you know that the, the entire national uh, discourse was was about nothing else. It was you know there were only two channels or three channels then anyway mm. and everybody talked about Alf Garner all the time and you know very quickly it became a you know you either love him or you hate him and I think you know that I don't, I don't think any comedy writer had experienced that kind yeah. of uh, level of, 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 of sort of dissection of his work yeah. in real time but, as, as yeah. he got um, but, but do you actually want the, the question is do you actually want people to talk about stuff yeah. Or mm. and if you and if you want to deal with an issue within a sitcom, you're going to have mm. to have somebody with an alternative point of view. So mm. you need to be a little bit grown up about mm. about not just straw manning your the arguments you don't like. There's a great expression called steel manning, uh, which is you you do the best version you can of an opposing viewpoint. Yeah, um, and then have a go at that. Yeah. And you know, and you want to humanise your enemies, and, yeah. and you know, and show, and and one of the reasons why, and I don't know if it's the case because I didn't watch a lot of Alf Garnett, but one of his primary motivations uh, is fear. Mm. You can see he's afraid of having his land taken away from him, um, or sometimes you might show that it's ignorance, or you might show that it's this or that. And that actually will humanise them in a way that you might not like, but actually people will find easy to relate to. And then you can have a discussion. And a discussion involves contrary points of view. So Mm. if we don't even want to be in a room where contrary points of view are espoused, then I'm afraid I I haven't got anything to say to that. I think what you you know, and it's a while since I listened to the interview you did with uh, Eric Chappell, um, yeah. who wrote Rising Damp. But uh, I I do I'm pretty sure I remember him you know that, that saying you know, the, the very conscious effort to uh, how how do you deal with with race? I mean, Rising Damp is a is a is a masterclass in that really mm. is that you have you know that the the the, the, the winning character is the the black guy you know and he is a guy he 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 he's he's this he is a character who happens to be black mm. and uh you know um uh, leonard roster's uh character Dig, uh, rigsby rigsby of course mm. uh, and i said digsby i had the the dog digs digby in my head for some reason okay um yeah uh, rigsby uh you know w- would love to be all the things that philip it is uh, yeah. apart from <laughs> apart from black but but it, it, it's what i loved about that show was that they there's a sort of tangential way it was a comedy about uh it was about status which is a sort of classic comedy thing yeah. about class status uh and and you know oh and by the way there's a sort of racial uh kind yeah. of un- underside to this but it's actually you know it didn't really that that wasn't the main point, and nobody ever accused Rising Damp of of uh, dealing in stereotypes, or or nobody said this is demeaning to white people. Uh, you know, it just it was like a sort of a, 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 yeah, because you get you get two reactions, you get th- yeah. you get two or three reactions to um, to Philip uh, played by um, uh, Don Warrington, Don Warrington, where yeah. you've got you've got Rigsby who is. Kind of, it's a bit partridge actually. Part, it, he's a little bit. He's fascinated and a tr- and intrigued uh, by the otherness, 
and and the way Philip talks about you know there's this you know talks about being a the son of a tribal chief or something mm. and you're pretty sure he's messing with him mm. um, and in the play on which it's based I believe that the whole thing is shown to be not true and that the whole yeah. thing has just been uh, stringing him along which is not I don't think ever resolved in the sitcom in quite yeah. that way but mm -hmm. you get Rigsby who is who is intrigued but also repelled and and mm. and then you've got Richard Beckinsale's character who's just like Oh, it's Philip. You know, he's. Yeah. You know, we're going to go out on the town bloke. tonight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got uh, 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 Miss Jones, uh, uh, who is. Tour, yeah. yeah, who is. You know, who is utterly in love with him. Yeah. Um, and you just think, well, you've got sort of two, two, as it were, positive reactions, and one negative reaction. Well, that, for nineteen seventies Britain, that sounds mm. about right, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit generous, in fact. Um, yeah. But it's trying to just shift, it's shifting the Overton window yeah. a little bit, isn't it? Well, that's, um, that, that comes back to another aspect is, uh, you know, how, how much, are, well, you, as you're saying, I mean, one's going, how much are you trying to be popular, you know, how much are you trying to get people to watch what you want to see? But then also, you know, how much are you reflecting what's already out yeah. there? And I think there is a lot of that. And I think... You know, and, and and a show like Love Thy Neighbour, which I which I know was was gonna you know pretty much universally uh, hated by the kind of black black people of my generation, and it did you know they they talk a lot about you know getting a lot of stick uh, mm. because of that, but actually you know you watched Love Thy Neighbour, and that and it, and it, it's almost. Uh, painful in its attempts to be to, to show actually well no it's not a, it's it's not about racism it's about you know the, it's about men and women really so the, 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 the women get on pretty well but it's the blokes and it, it's about alpha males you know right. but the fact is that the, the the white alpha male is a racist and yeah. uh, the black alpha male gives as good as he gets and so that kind of uh, there's even there's even less nuance to that i think in some ways than than to, yeah. to alf garner and i and i do and i do think you know it's 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 troubling because obviously the writers were not trying to write you know they, they they were trying to kind of say look i'm a writer this is you know this is about a person a weak a, a comedy character with weaknesses uh yeah. this is what we're trying to show but and and i had a similar thing the show called never mind the quality feel the width uh which was about a Jewish tailor and, and, uh, and the, uh, an Irish uh, uh, tailor who worked with him, an uh, uh, Irish guy. And so and they, they were called Manny Cohen and Paddy Kelly, you know, and um, it was a nice, lovely family sitcom. But because of the surname being the same as mine, you know, I used to get all sorts of crap for it, mm. you know, and uh, that, that you, you kind of can't help that. You know, people watch it and go, ha ha, he's called Cohen, he's a tailor, ha, huh? he's called Manny Cohen, all Jews called Cohen must be called Manny, you know, and, you know, so, so mm. you kind of can see why people get angry. Yeah. <laughs> about I don't, you know, and I'm, comedy. you know, I'm not about to play my, you know, I'm not about to play my I'm not that privileged card, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, I speak. As we speak now, I am in Yeovil in Somerset. I live in the West Country. I'm from the West Country. I'm the son of a farmer. When people have a proper West Country accent, you could be forgiven for thinking they're not very clever. Um, and there's, it's just like, there's no, I don't think there's any statistical oh, yeah. evidence that, that people mm. have a lower IQ in the Southwest. But it's oh, I like, think it's definitely true, James. 
But he, but he, well, there you go. So in a way, there's like, you know, every, everyone has these little mm. stereotypes and some of them are pernicious and very tiresome and other than just, yeah. you know, oh, here we go again. And I'm aware that if you if you live with it on a day to day basis, you know, many mm. times a day, as it were, it must be wearing, infuriating, degrading. So but it's in a way we are playing with all of these kinds mm. of things and you are playing some form of seventh dimensional chess. Hmm. And then suddenly people just go, oh, there's an eighth and ninth dimension. Let's look back at your seventh dimensional chess game. Oh, dear, hmm. that doesn't look very good, does it? Um, hmm. So it, it's pretty it's pretty terrifying, really. And I, I just think in a way it just heightens the fact that, as we've been saying throughout this episode and pretty much every podcast really, is it's really hard and you have to be intentional about absolutely hmm. everything so that if you're going to address race in a particular way, know that you're dealing with it or move it to one side and do something else or you know so although I've said you know you can't control how the audience are going to feel about it do also think well what are they supposed to think Mm. Um, so when you're planning your sitcom and writing it um, if you've got a central relationship that's that is that is racially interesting and you've set it in a racially interesting area but you've then just said, oh, no, it's not about that at all. It's about something else. You go, well, OK, you have done an awful lot to make it look like it's about one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be quite a quite a trick to make it actually about something else. So it's just a question of of, of stage management, um, of 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 directing the audience's attention and knowing what your key characters are, what their relationships are. Um, and then also, what what are the audience likely to make of it? And mm. these things do, as we've said, take on a life of their own. Mm. Uh, but you've got to start somewhere and you've got to put a few pins in the map and just say, right, OK, this is the show. Um, and then, you know, and then a pandemic comes along and that's the end <laughs> of that. Or yeah. a pandemic, you know, suddenly makes your top makes your sitcom feel right. And mm. then halfway through a pandemic, race riots break out and and ruin a perfectly decent pandemic, um, you know. And so suddenly, so you know, it's yeah. we are we are hitting moving targets hmm. with uh, with with rifles that don't have the don't have correct sightings on them, um, and it's a very windy day. <laughs> and I would just, I'll just add that I have direct experience of trying to do this, and I have tried over twenty or thirty years or so to write very specific characters in which I've tried to, to deal with the subject tangentially. Uh, mm. And uh, it just, for instance, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I suppose, roughly, when uh, um, I had this idea, I was working with Gina Yashere on other things, and I had this idea for her as a um, uh, somebody who becomes a Tory politician and who, who you know, who very quickly becomes the leader of the Tory party uh, through a sort of series of accidents um, and, and the fact that nobody, the, you know, the Tory party at the time had no, you know, were, were, there was nobody stood any chance against Tony Blair. Um, so they might as well go with this uh, yeah. lift engineer who sort of turned up at their offices. Uh, yeah. They might as well kind of a Joe, Joe, the plumber, basically. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, with her sort of slight, you know, very kind of, whatever sort of libertarian views and things so um but it just was i could never quite get it 
uh, as we say, you know, it's hard to kind of uh, create it without creating the opposite. You know, you you needed the opposite peoples to it, and uh, so it was just, uh, and, and it was just a little bit too fraught, really, as a kind of subject. And I always, I always felt it was a really strong idea. It's one of the, one of the, I thought mm. it's one of the best ideas, you know, that I'd had for a long yeah. time. And, and and I pushed it for a long time, but it just didn't. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't get away from the feeling of uh, uncomfortable feeling that you know this could easily become something that it would be, you know, just just the opposite of absolute. Say the opposite, absolute opposite of what I mm. I wanted to say. And as you say, you know. You you can't control it, and I and I felt I couldn't control it. I wasn't. I didn't feel yeah. that I was the person who could write it, and maybe someone mm. else could. But there you yeah. go. I guess my my final comment, because we should probably wrap up, yeah. is um, is when you do get something over the line again. You know, speaking of the experience of Bluestone Four Two, a show with a modicum of controversy, given it was about um, improvised explosive devices in an active, ongoing war situation. Yeah. So. An actual fact, you know, the show wasn't as controversial as people thought it was going to be in the end, even though if Damn. you watch it, it, we really are, it, it is quite full on. Mm. But in terms of the reaction of it, you just can't tell because I do know that there were some people, in fact, a neighbour of mine who just says, I've worked with bomb disposal people and I, I don't particularly want to watch your show because I, I, I think it will be disrespectful. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's that's fine. Oh, yeah. Um, and there are others who've had relatives uh, who have been wounded in Afghanistan or killed, and it would be very painful for them to watch it. But there are others who are in exactly the same situation who find it cathartic and are like, oh, thank goodness someone has actually told that story. Mm. Um, and they find it kind of cleansing in some way. Yeah. And you just don't know. Yeah. You just don't know how people are going to feel about it. And in a way, we need to give people the grace and the freedom just to react to it as they see fit. Um, and I would say this, but you know, there is stuff about this in the Bible. I know Christians are very deemed to be very, very judgmental, but there is actually stuff in the Bible about just saying, look, if you don't have a problem with something and someone else does, that's okay. Um, don't, you know, you, you, they don't need to follow your rules on every single issue. Um, and, uh, which I th it's sort of stuck the, the parts of the Bible that people aren't aware exist and are actually quite handy. Um, there is room for disagreement and grace uh, here. So you can't say to somebody, especially now, you are wrong to feel mm. that way about this. Um, don't tell people how to feel. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But equally, if you feel differently from someone else, that's just how they feel. And, and maybe that's fine. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so, yeah, but anyway, I'm really grateful also that you have corrected some of these hyperbolic stories about cancelling stuff uh, for which the comedians responsible have already had second mm. thoughts. Mm. And, of course, the idea that John Cleese, who was part of a, you know, a very progressive group of Monty Python who did Life of Brian, and the idea that Matt Lucas and David Walliams should mm. in any way be part of the establishment kicking down. You just think, mm. oh, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they, they may not always express themselves right or it may not date very well. But the idea that these guys are the bad guys, I'll, I'll mm. get oh, off. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad but, you uh, said that, actually, yeah. James, as well, because, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's, 
that's been my feeling. I just think yeah. this is a massive, massive distraction from yeah. you know actually you know there there is uh, there there is racism that needs to be dealt with, and yeah. you know the right people have been dealing with it the right way as much as they can for many years, and yeah. you know there's still a lot more that needs doing, and any yeah. argument about you know which comedy show we're allowed to to watch or you know it's 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 it's, it's just a total destruction we, we we're going to discuss one more thing but very i'll just mention it very quickly because uh yeah to, just just to say that um that the one one area that, that that's um uh, has been experiencing the, the worst problems of all in comedy have been of course live comedy and um, we still don't know what's going to happen um you yeah. know how, how on earth we're yeah. going to come out and how, how theaters how you know uh, comedy well, maybe, sketch groups or whatever maybe a bit of homework we could actually for for next time or for the next time we record a live episode mm. We uh, we get a bit of information on that. Maybe talk to Stuart Goldsmith or something. Well, we he might talk to Stuart Goldsmith. Um, we can talk to some of the people who've set up a new group uh, for, uh, for try, trying to uh, sort of get, get, get together like an umbrella group of all the people with interest in this uh, called the Live Comedy Association. I understand there's going to be a kind of online version of the Edinburgh Fringe uh, in August. So we might want to talk to somebody about that i think so i think yeah. that might be a good uh, uh yeah. Uh, yeah a future podcast yeah. a very near future but um yeah i think yeah we've we've, yeah. we've kind of run out of time to discuss that in yeah. detail but but, but um yeah, yeah. okay there'll be more if you join us on patreon there'll be more of this so you could do that the next two the next and they've already enjoyed the next two episodes that we'll be putting out uh for your for your ears are is an interview a two-part interview with anil gupta and richard pinto uh, who write together, uh, wrote you know loads of stuff, and Anil was also the um, exec producer of The Office, uh, and uh, <laughs> That's some it's great stories about. It's that. a great story that he <laughs> ends the first part by just saying, uh, "So the story of the because we we spend the first part of the interview talking about all of their failures, uh, and at the very end of that first part, Dave, you just say." So some of our listeners may may be more familiar with your name because you were the exec producer of The Office. <laughs> it's just yeah. like... Only the most yeah. popular, revolutionary comedy show of the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also he yeah. just says, well, so this is, this is my version. <laughs> Other versions are available, <laughs> uh, which is great. Mm. And then in the second part, he tells it. So those are the next two episodes mm. and we'll be back after that, at which point we might know a bit more about about lockdown um, and theatres and and the live scene and all that stuff as well as more info on Situation Comedy's new new things coming out so that's cool thanks very much for listening everybody thank you and we'll uh, thanks for for BCG British Comedy Guide if you go to their website comedy.co.uk yeah uh, who who host our podcast very kindly thank you and we will speak to you next time bye 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 bye